You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. Uh, when we are on Thomas, I'm like, thank God you're the one editing this one. <laughs> Good luck. Oh, yeah, shit. You're an epic. That's crazy. Cool. So, well, thanks for, for inviting me on this. Have you guys had a chance to try the, try the new Bordeaux? I'm uh, actually uh, tasting it right now. Uh, oh, cool. Today, today is, you hear the voice behind us there? It's, uh, that's Daniel Speck in there. And uh, Daniel's got himself a new wine. But it's not Niagara. Yeah, we're sort of breaking some new ground here. Uh, it's sort of a, a passion project that uh, finally came together and is going to be hitting the shelves in uh, a couple of weeks, middle of November. So the bottle I'm holding in my hand is a 2018 Cave Mystère uh, Chambert Speck Merlot Bordeaux. Right. Is that Chambert or Chambertus, Daniel? Chambert. Okay. Damien Chambert and his wife, Marie. Yeah. And how did you meet these people and how do you end up making a Bordeaux wine? Let's let's get the, the story straight from the horse's mouth while we while we drink. Yes. <laughs> um the wine so it started Damien was a uh, or is a winemaker. His wife actually the, the winery comes through his, his wife, Marie, and they uh, but he's not, he's a winemaker. And we share a distributor uh, in New York. Um, and who's been selling both of our wines for many, many years, and uh, just sort of struck up a relationship initially through our distributor, then through my brother Paul, and through me, and, and so on. And his winery is is uh, um, basically it's, it's a neat little spot in Cadillac, Cadillac. They would say we would say Cadillac in English, and so uh, it's Shadow uh, Lamoth Haute. And uh, just a small family operation, been going for many years. And he, you know, he was you know, desperate to try new things for the North American market. He sells, he sells a lot of wine in, in the States and increasingly in Canada. And uh, so we got tossing around some ideas. And, and um, so, you know, he was really, he was great. He stayed on top of me for about this for, for a long time. And then as it happens, last September, I, I did this insane uh, tour on business where I was in, in a two-week span I was in Lodi, Sonoma, Napa, south of France, Burgundy, uh, Bordeaux, Niagara, and Prince Edward County, all schlepping my wares. And while I was over there um, in Bordeaux, I met with, with Damon and his wife again for, for you know, another conversation on this. I literally stayed up all night. I drew the label. We, uh, we tasted a bunch of wines earlier that day, and then the next day we went back down into the cave, literally underneath the, uh, the vineyard where the wine is kept, and uh, went through to another tasting and put together the, the basic outline of what this wine would be. And the idea was to try and you know, make something a little, uh, a little more approachable from all aspects for a North American wine drinker. And this is all just uh, pure Merlot. So, 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 like this is a wine region, uh, and we originally wanted to call it uh, uh, Cab de Cadillac, yeah, Cadillac. We thought it was a great name. I mean, over here we think of Cadillac as a great car, right? <laughs> or, you know, it's just a lot of history to it. Totally, we tie that back into the region, but the Appalachian system wouldn't let us do that over there. And we could use all these crazy terms like uh, Cote. Bourgeois Cadillac, or I can't remember what it was. There, there's so many horrible names. 
you know, it's funny over there, you know, you, you know, they have wines like Cru Bourgeois, right? Yes. And, and you'd think you'd be forgiven for thinking maybe bourgeois uh, is not a, a negative word in French. You know, in English, it's, it's kind of nouveau riche sounding. It's not really a nice word. Over there, bourgeois is equally as horrible a term. And I thought, how many people go to buy a bottle of Bordeaux or would buy a bottle of Bordeaux but get turned off by the, these, these really difficult names? And if you're not from the region or really engaged, how do you... Uh, how do you, you know, understand Bordeaux? And so when I was talking with Damien, you know, it's, it's interesting. They've, they just, they, they, they're so immersed in it that they sometimes don't always see these things. I said, why don't we just make a wine called Bordeaux? Go varietal, um, Merlot or Cabernet Sauvignon, just to make it simple for people to understand. And it's interesting, in his climate, it's a warmer part of France and uh, of Bordeaux. And they produce these fairly juicy wines. And, and I thought, and, and, you know, sometimes they're apologetic about that. And I was like, well, the only people who aren't apologetic about that are pretty much all the new world wine producers. And so maybe you've got something here that's more uh, appealing to, you know, the average North American wine drinker than, than you guys give yourselves credit for. And, uh, you know, where he's from, it's, it's primarily a dessert wine region. They make uh, like, you know, sweet Semillon and Sauvignon Blanc and things like that. And um, I was like, well, let's just make it a delicious red, call it Bordeaux. And see what happens, and you can make it accessible for people that can. I think people, you know, anyone under the age of, uh, you know, forty, if they want, or thirty, even if they want to try a bottle of Bordeaux, might have trouble knowing where to start. They might not be able to uh, recognize the name or say it. They might not be able to buy the same wine twice if they liked it. Or and even thought, just, well, the, just fact that, this... the, the fact that you know it's it's cost prohibitive. I mean, when you start getting learning, yeah. when, once you get that bug where you want to learn more about wine. You know, it's 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 pretty easy to learn who the Grand Cru Classe are. You spend some time in in the sure. vintage section of the LCBO and any LCBO that has a decent Bordeaux selection. You know, it's really easy to spend a hundred, two hundred bucks, um, and there are not, frankly, there there aren't enough affordable bottles of Bordeaux that work their way work their way through. Well, I mean, yeah, I think that, or the ones that you might recognize. I mean, I mean, a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks on a bottle of wine. That's pretty big uh, expense for most people and so uh yet you know most of you know the, the folks who are drinking um everyday premium wine in a place like vintages and the lcbo for example you know that for them a, a premium bottle of wine is a 25 dollar bottle of jay lore which is a totally serviceable great bottle of wine or uh, kim crawford new zealand sauvignon blanc or something like that or santa margarita pinot grigio these are these are all 20 25 dollar bottles of wine those are affordable luxuries for, for, for a lot of people. They'll drink quite regularly every day, but they're not running out most often and buying $200, dollars dollars $1,000 bottles of Bordeaux. I mean, I mean, how many of those bottles do we buy, right? And we're in, in this industry. So I thought, well, you know, there's, there is a lot of excellent wine out there from, from Niagara, from California, from all over the world uh, in that sort of 20 to $25 range. Uh, even less, and and so I thought, you know, is this possible in Bordeaux? And the answer is, yeah, for sure. And I grew up, I grew up uh, drinking sort of Bordeaux back, you know, 20, 30 years ago, learning about wine. Bordeaux, we always looked to the French first, you know. And so I thought, how cool would it be to kind of go back there? To, to so, so Cab Mystère, where does where does the name come from? Yeah, so this place is so neat. That's the other thing that, that I find so amazing that these producers completely um, under 
undersell themselves sometimes. So here's this really cool vineyard. So imagine this vineyard, beautiful vineyard, this cathedral off in the distance. Uh, his his, I guess he's called a chateau, but this beautiful home they live in is this gorgeous arch uh, made of stone off the side of it. So there's a window almost over the uh, over the uh, creek that's below the house. And as you go down underneath, like down the hill below the the buildings below the vineyard, there's this uh, uh, calcareous or limestone chalky uh, uh, rock face. It's an escarpment. And it's totally exposed. And as you get down to the bottom of it and you walk up to it, there's a, there's like a, a natural archway there, an overhang. And prehistoric people lived in the shelter that was there. And you can see all kinds of evidence of that with little scrapings in the rock where they would have attached tools and things like that. And uh, anyways, in, in the 1700s, <clears throat> um, the, they, they started to mine the uh, the stone from underneath these vineyards and haul out these bricks that would be the size of like a you know your average desk or something like that in an office like a big stone uh, slab of limestone and they hauled those out and then they used those to build the city of Bordeaux and so all those giant uh, stone blocks that built Bordeaux it's kind of like if you're in Ontario uh, buildings in Kingston and, and places like that, that amazing uh, stonework. I was just in Guelph on the week the other day and I saw the same kind of, uh, in Gulf, same kind of stonework, except these stones are massive. And it, so they're mined out of, out of the, the uh, from places like uh, Damien's uh, vineyard, underneath his vineyard. And I'm talking like 30, 40 feet down. And the caves go back for like 10 miles. In fact, he was saying to me that he hasn't even been through all of them because he doesn't want to get lost back in there. But as you go in, it's like it's cold as anything, and it's freezing. In the middle of the summer, it could be like in the high 30s, or and you get into those caves and you're wearing like a sweater. And so that's where he stores all the barrels. So t- tell me a little bit about um, how this particular wine was made. Um, like how long in, in barrel... Uh... I guess just a little bit more about the pride. How involved you were in in getting this wine into the bottle? Well, so what we did is is we met um, back. So we met for uh, oh god, how many times on this? I I went and saw him for the main time was back in September, and then we we put put the blend together, and then he shipped the uh, uh, samples a bunch of different samples to us. We had a couple blend options that we narrowed down that we were kind of kind of thinking about. And my brothers and I, uh, um, with our winemakers here at Henry of Pelham, sat down and kind of chiseled away at it a bit further and, and gave our notes back. And there's kind of a dialogue going on. And, and he's used mostly, it's about 60% uh, used, 40% new oak, uh, primarily French. For about uh, twelve months, I think was the final tally on the wine. Wait, wait, wait! wait. Pri- primarily French. There's a that, French... that caught me too. Yeah, there's a French winemaker that has French, barrels French. not from France. <laughs> French, sorry, French. They are French. I'm used to saying primarily because we use a mixture of French and and, uh, and American in our own wines, and so it's French oak. But but uh, and then and then I um, really pretty simple, a simple winemaking. I mean, it's it's uh, he grows a lot of Merlot where he is, and so. This is off of his vineyard, um, and I've been through the winery. It's a very, uh, it's a modern but but uh, but modest operation. Um, uh, he hasn't done long long soaks on the skins or anything like that. It's just crush, 
uh, ferment and uh, and age. We have a lot to work with there. The wines are already reasonably opulent. I mean, there's there's there's, there's depth to this wine, right? So, what do you guys think of it? Um, well, that was going to be my next thing, Andre. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm blown away by this wine actually. At uh, 1895, which is it comes out uh, November the 14th, I believe. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go first, Andre. I, I got supple dark fruit, cassis, blackberry, uh, delicate cedar oak notes, a little anise. But then as this wine opens up, it, it gets pretty lush pretty quick. The, the, the word that comes to mind for me is just luscious. Um, it, it actually, it, it, if I were tasting this blind, I would guess that this is a little bit older than what it is. So, I mean, the good news about this, and I mean this in the highest, in the highest compliment that, this isn't a bottle of Bordeaux that you need to decant, you need to be fussy with, you need to put it in a cellar. Like if you're if you're looking to show some people who are new to wine or even people who already love wine what Bordeaux is supposed to taste like, this is a great bottle to do that. Um, the flavor profile is exactly what you said, Michael, and at 19 bucks, it just screams value. Um, you know, this is... Uh, I, I would still put it in the cellar three to five years. I think that's that's... I think ten's pushing it, but yeah, it'll listen. Listen, it'll definitely, it'll definitely, uh, it will definitely evolve. But for people who like the wines in their youth with the vibrant fruit, like this is this is uh, textbook how Andre loves Bordeaux to taste. This is this like is I my wine. I didn't put it in a big Bordeaux glass. I just have it in a tasting glass, and I could see this in a in a nice big Bordeaux glass, just opening up within half an hour, uh, twenty minutes, and just being this beautiful, opulent, lush Merlot. That uh, you know, people may even, except for the the really good acidity that's in here, may even go. Well, I th- I thought maybe that could be California. I, th- I think I think that you're obviously right. I mean, that's it's kind of the 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 inspiration for the wine. I mean, I think that part of Bordeaux is California. Ask if you can generalize like that. But know? the thing that throws me off is at the at the price point. Like I know in California at this price point, you're usually getting a bit of residual sugar, and this is like Correct. completely bone dry. Um, and it's also just got this, you know, the a slight floral note when you get to the finish on the tannin that just screams Bordeaux. It's just like, nah, this this is not this is not a new world region. This is unmistakable Bordeaux. This is really, yeah. really, really well done. Their wines are good. Look, I'll say this. I mean, it, it, uh, I mean, I love this style that we're making here. Uh, but Damien's other wines from uh, Chateau Lamothe Oak. Uh, it's, I'll spell that for for people. You know, Chateau Lamothe is L A M O T H E, then it's dash H A U T, and um, yeah, they're they're elegant wines. He has some wines that is, is upper tier that are certainly very very cellar worthy. I mean, like, uh, and his whites are great. They come out through vintages as well. They're super delicious. So I mean, white Bordeaux is amazing. So uh, yeah, these are, I think bang for buck. You get a lot of wine here. I think it. I mean, if this was a California wine, what would the price be? I don't know. Probably be in, in the thirty somewhere, somewhere in the thirties. I it'd be, would say. It'd, be, it'd be a twenty-five to thirty-five dollar bottle for this for this quality. It's uh, that's yeah. kind of what we, were, what we were we were we were benchmarking if we could. Get people elicit the response that this is as good as a twenty-five dollar bottle of wine out of California, and we've succeeded. That's kind of our, our, our. You know what I mean? If we've done more than that, we're even happier. So, so is this a one-off, Daniel, or is this going to be a continuous thing you guys are going to do? I'll tell you in December, uh, in January, to see if there's <laughs> any left on the shelf. Uh, the idea is that we want to keep going with it. Um, already, we've uh, got. Um, Received interest in Belgium, in uh, in France, interestingly, 
uh, uh, an importer in China who uh, who Damien works with. We haven't talked to to our own uh, that through Henry of Pelham that we work with. I have someone in in, uh, in uh, the the Northeast that I'm talking with as well in the U.S. Uh, Quebec. So we we have if if it works, we want to take it to the world because we there's 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 lots of this good fruit to to access right now. What it really needs is a way to to tell the story and to, and to bring it to people. Man, it, it, I. The, the, the that, gears was, that was a vowel move. I know, I know, I know, but just one. like it's sort of the gears in my head are, are turning because I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. Like the, like we get we get media samples sent from Henry Pelham. I'm sure that's not a surprise to anyone listening to this podcast. But over the past couple of years, the Cab Merlot that you've been sending from all vintages, like we've recently like tasted through still some old 2012s, 2015s, 2016s. Um, mm-hmm. I know we've talked about how Henry of Pelham is sort of the house that Baco built, but. The right. Cab Merlot that you guys are doing there is clearly something that you guys take really seriously. Which which also brings us, hold on, before before Daniel answers that, brings us to uh, another wine that we we do have. Daniel sent the Cab Mister, very nice of him, and then he sent another two bottles to, to talk about, and it just happens to be a Cab Merlot. So that's a nice segue, Andre, into this, the Padre Cab Merlot. Uh, Daniel, I'll let you take on what, what, what is with the Padre and, and about Cab Merlot in general. So thanks for asking. So <clears throat> there's a uh, this is a new project for us that we for a number of years we've made a wine called Family Tree, and there was a, a white blend and a red blend in it, and we've been playing with this concept and evolving it. And this is this is under uh, it's, it's a new project now in that we we've refounded it under the Speck Brothers portfolio. As, as some people will know that my, my brothers and I have been making wine together since. Basically, since we were kids, we've been planting vineyards and now and making wine together for thirty over years, thirty years, thirty-five years even. And so, uh, uh, family tree uh, is now three wines. It's a uh, Chardonnay called the Goat Lady, a, a Baco called the Bootlegger, and a Cabernet Merlot called the Padre. And each each of these wines. Uh, has kind of a, a unique story to the family behind them. Uh, um, I'll start by maybe telling a bit about the story. Uh, the Padre, are, some people don't know this, and some people find it off-color, but I think it's just an interesting fact of our lives, that our father was actually a Catholic priest and, and had a, uh, you know uh, many lives, uh, both before and during uh, his life with us. And so... It just seemed kind of fitting. We wanted to tell our dad's story in a wine, and, and Cabernet Merlot is really three grapes: Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Merlot. And so this, you know, that that uh, triumvirate seems to be an appropriate uh, mix under a wine named the Padre. So that's where it comes from. And then, of course, we're three boys, and this this uh, this uh, um, the number three shows up a lot in our lives and a lot of the things we do, and we kind of play off that. So that's that's where this comes from. So it's actually Speck Brothers Family Tree. Hang on, uh, hang on. We got the number three, the Da Vinci Code. Wait, are you guys Freemasons too? It's getting spooky. Yeah, yeah it's it's. Oh, I, well, I can't, I can't, I can't either confirm or deny that. Okay, okay. Let's gonna continue, continue. Yeah. And, and then so, the Eye of Siron comes in here too. <laughs> <laughs> the Eye of the Pyramid and all that. Yeah, we have a secret handshake between myself and my brothers. <laughs> so we. Uh, uh, it's all sustainably grown, which is kind of nice, which is true of actually of all of our wines are all sustainably grown, but we really call that out here. Do, do you want to and, expand uh, on that in like just a, a couple points? Because I know like yeah. the word sustainable is sort of a, 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 a buzzword that uh, can mean a lot of things. But like, I mean, what does in, in a few sentences, like what does sustainable mean for the Speck Brothers? 
Well, it starts with this. We were involved, um, especially my brother Matthew, the farmer brother, uh, was very involved with helping set up sustainable winemaking in Ontario. And it started about 16 years ago, I think, if I remember, if I've got that right. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a program that um, basically it, it takes all agricultural practices and actually in the winery and through the whole winemaking process and, and rates those, uh, gives point scores to those different practices. And there's a certain threshold you're trying to hit that, that, that you, if you get a certain number of points on the scale, you're sustainable. If you don't get those points, you're not. That's a very simple way of explaining it. Perfect. And, uh, and, and it allows you to adapt your winemaking practices to your physical reality. So not all soils are the same. Some are clay, some are sand. They have different, you know, uh, issues in the vineyard as a result. So, what works on one soil won't work on another. So you have to find the practices that are the best for where you are. But it's a holistic look at the winemaking. And uh, so, yeah, so we were involved in, in, in setting that up, or at least Matthew was involved in setting that up on our behalf. And we take it really seriously, and it's, it's all of our wines are made that way. And it's uh, um, actually, I mean, I'll give you a really a good news story about all that, by the way. Um, it's it's not really significantly more expensive to be a sustainably grown wine uh, winery. Uh, it just it's it's if anything it's basically revenue neutral re- revenue neutral maybe a little more expensive at times, but it's uh, it is completely doable and the standards improve all the time and and uh, I don't know it's we were just big big advocates of it so. So Andre, what do you think of the Padre? Um, is this made in American oak? Is this amazing? Oh, no, it's French. Interesting. Yeah, all of it. It's yeah. just got that, like, sort of sweet vanilla note that I, I would expect from some entry-level California, but I, I like the fact that it's got it's it's got the acidity, It's it's got that cool climate zip, and there isn't a lot of residual sugar hanging around on the finish. Um, I could see this being either a, a gateway or, or definitely something for, you know, I, I've kind of been figuring out that for a lot of people the preference of wine isn't whether you like red or white wine but a lot of people i, th- I think it, it tends to gravitate more towards warm or cool climate wines this is a a cab merlot that i think could win over some warm climate wine drinkers just with with the flavor profile yeah let me correct myself Andre, sorry I, I, I have it's, to... it's about it's about 60 percent french 40 percent american so you're I not totally uh, off at all there uh, andre actually i knew it so, <laughs> yeah you know it I catch a lot of that vanilla that uh, that Andre was talking about. I got a lot of smoky, earthy tobacco, a little bit of that herbal note. It opens up pretty quickly and 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 pretty nicely into a cherry raspberry, but uh, there's also a nice mocha seam that seems to kick around on here. And the longer it's open, the more it seems to get fruit forward and kind of shucks the smoky, earthy tobacco herbal notes, which is, uh, you know, I, what I really like about it. It's it's juicy yeah. and delicious and entry entry like really good for entry level. Like I was walking and and here's the other thing too is uh, I was walking through the LCBO at um, at uh, Bay and Dundas uh, the the atrium down there and I I noticed the like these the family tree labels uh, on the shelf. Uh, I mean they really stood mm-hmm. out in. Um, you know, I talk I talk a lot about labels, so I mean, if your label's not standing out in the general list, you gotta pull up your socks. The the Speck Brothers family tree is really standing out on the shelf. Thank you. Yeah, I think there. I mean, yeah, package matters, right? And I think uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it all matters. It's, it's a complete thing, and uh, you want to look good in your table and look good in your hand, and and uh, we've always felt that way. Actually, I think I remember when we when we redesigned our, our Cuvée Catherine labels a number of years ago. 
that's our sparkling wine. Part of the thought was I wanted someone to be able to walk down the street with that bottle, sort of the, the neck held between their knuckles as they swing the bottle down the street going off to a dinner party. And someone to see that label and be like, wow, that's they brought the good stuff. You know, it should look like you're bringing the good stuff, right? With, with the other knuckles dragging on the ground. Right. That's just you, Michael. That's just <laughs> yeah. you. So then, of course, uh, you had to send us a bottle of Baco. You couldn't just send us real wine. You had to send Baco along. <laughs> so well, I, wait, yeah, Dad, well, Dad wanted, did, 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 yeah. did you listen to the podcast last week? I did. I, I, I got the I got the uh, uh, the highlights from from Paul. I haven't had a chance to get to it yet. <laughs> okay, because this is where we're, we're, we're you know Michael Michael gave your uh, lost boys a thumbs down, but I gave it a thumbs yeah. up. Oh, stop being a suck up. Hey, it's not about being a suck-up. That wine is solid. I, I was a fan of that wine. And still am a fan of that wine. But this is the uh, the 2019 uh, Old Vines Baco. And I, I as much as I really hate Baco, this continues to be uh, one of my favorites that you guys put out. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a hard four on that. My review is already out on that. Um, this is, uh, as much as I want to hate this wine, I really like it. So... Hang on, uh, I, I haven't tasted I, it I know you put this wine out a few years ago. What was the inspiration for doing the old vines, and when was the first vintage of this? The first vintage was 14, 2014, and the inspiration for it was, you know, we, we were doing these single vineyard expressions and, 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 and interesting things up there, but we felt that there was an old vine story to be told. And I, I don't know this for a fact, but I, I, I suspect that there is a disproportionate amount of old vines in our greater Niagara vineyard than in many wine regions because there's a lot of vineyards that are in that sort of 20 to 35 year old range and you know sort of around the world you've probably heard John Zabo uh, talk about um, some of the work he's been doing with South African wineries and sort of communicating on on old vines down there where they sort of speak around 35 year old vineyards as being a a nice place to, to, to consider old vines because you know the, the the vines start to deplete the soils right around their base, and the roots get pushed deeper. And there's a few things you know the vines start to operate a bit differently with that age. And it got me thinking a little bit about this. Uh, we'd already had this wine out, but how many vineyards in Niagara are in that range? There's got to be quite a bit. And, and if we could get that information from the grape growers Ontario, I think it'd be a great story to tell. We've been we've been connecting people with this story, like I say, since our 2014 vintage. And and they, that those vineyards just perform better, you know, and, and, and it's just noticeable. And we have a lot of them because our first vineyards went in in 1984, and uh, we put some sizable plantings of of Baco and other vines in. So, so that that was the impetus for it to kind of communicate that there's something special here happening in these vineyards. I I think even apart from you know Michael and Michael and I we have our opinions about Baco, but I mean if you're going to do something, don't half acid and i think it's one of the reasons why even when michael and i are, are, are kind of talking about about backhoe in general we always throw the caveat of you know you say you like backhoe but the reality is you like henry of pelham backhoe this isn't just kissing your ass because you're you're on the podcast we said this elsewhere uh, oh he's even, kissed your ass off the podcast too Daniel. yeah i mean that's he's it got a, he's, um, got a, he's got a picture he, of you in his house and he's got a dog named henry so actually my dog is named my dog is named after my dog is named after henry of pelham that is that is the honest to god truth um this this old vines is, is dog's ass with his tongue don't let everybody know that this uh old vines is is like ridiculous uh, compared to the the Lost Boys, like I feel like this is a step up, and I think they cost this this one costs a little bit less. 
This is uh, 20, uh, 1995. Yeah, all three wines here are within a buck of each other. Yeah, this one's really good. I love that sweet, juicy, dark fruit, that vanilla, that uh, that red licorice. There's just a lot going on in that bottle. And, you know, Andre, I know last week we talked about the Lost Boys being that, you know, overly sweet. Uh, you Zinfandel said overly sweet. California. You, said, you said overly yep. sweet. I said sweet. I think it, it was very well balanced. Not something you and I would That's... usually drink, but it was not overly sweet. It was overly it was overly sweet Zinfandel to me. This one hits that nice note. If if Baco is supposed to be the Ontario the Zinfandel of Ontario, then this one hits that you know really nice note that like say Segizio is making. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah, I think it's, it's it's exciting for us. You know, we we take this wine. I think Michael, you and I probably had this conversation before <clears throat> when we go. We sell our wines now in uh, 20, 21 countries, I think it is. And the the wine that that even to this day uh, is the is the main door opener for us is tobacco. It seems to transcend uh, countries and, and 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 cultures a little bit here, which is which is really quite surprising. I'll be honest with you. For us, we didn't know where tobacco was going to go for us. And I think that's what it's what it is. It's that that juiciness, that that so softness to it uh the color is nice it, it, it's generous it gives a lot and it's different you know it's 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 it's, it's something new for people and uh um yeah they were in northern europe belgium uh, again i bring up belgium it's, it's been a phenomenal market for us denmark uh even in, into japan and into china we've had great success selling tobacco who would have thought it not me huh yeah <laughs> No, yeah. but I mean, good, I, good I, wine is good wine is good wine, and it's it's good wine is good wine. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Well, Daniel, thank you for being on today. Uh, this rainy day, obviously, you probably weren't out in the vineyard. Uh, it's raining here in Niagara, so uh, thanks for taking some time out and drinking some wine with us. We appreciate that. Absolutely, thanks for the invitation. Hope you enjoy the bottles and and uh, stay in touch. And good luck with this cabmi stare. I hope it flies off the shelf at uh, nineteen or thirty eighteen ninety five. Uh, out uh, November 14th. People should be buying it so that we can see more of what you guys can do in uh, Cadillac. Awesome. Thank uh, you. Cadillac. Cadillac. Say it the French way. <laughs> Jesus. I'm, I'm in Ontario. I say Cadillac. <laughs> you say tomato. I say tomato. And I'm right. <laughs> I still have some of the 2019 Old Vine tobacco in my glass. And uh, I'm a little ashamed at how much I'm enjoying this. You're going to probably bathe in that tonight, aren't you? No, I've got Chardonnay to wash the um, the feeling of tobacco taste out of my mouth. Tobacco out of my <laughs> mouth, but no, I mean uh, for twenty bucks. Wow, this is a hell of a wine. Something good for um, budding wine collectors. You love Ontario. You love Henry Pelham Bacco. Like rush out and buy this wine. That's that's the one that if if, if it ever came out, like I mean, like I, I had to buy a Bacco. Somebody says you got to buy one, and here are they they are on the shelf. I would I would gravitate to that because consistently year after year. That's a good wine. And speaking of good, that cabmi stare. Oh my is, god! I think it's a steal. I I had no idea what I was expecting when we opened that bottle. Um, I mean, it's one of the great things about what the Speck brothers are doing and family wine merchants. Like they represent Gerard Bertrand. Where I mean, let's be honest, it's a little bit hit and miss when the Bertrand wines hit the shelf, but the good ones are really good and they scream value. And even when they're not yeah. so good, it's just like. Uh, there's still value. I didn't like, waste. I, can, I didn't waste twenty bucks. Mostly under twenty bucks. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's like I knew this was going to be. 
you know, I had a strong inkling that this was going to be good. I didn't think it would deliver the goods like this. Uh, you know, perfect Christmas gift, perfect, you know, just buy it and drink it, perfect wine, you know, if you want to cook with it. As I've been saying, don't cook with wine you won't drink. Uh, there's just, uh, I'm going to be drinking a lot of this this fall. I'll, I'll tell you that. The much. other the other good part of it that is, uh, you know, you put it on the table and if anybody, uh, you know, kind of looks at the bottle at all and sees speck in there, they'll, you know, and they know any Ontario wine history or anything, they'll go, ah, oh, we have specks here and you can kind of, you know, have a story to tell. Uh, the press release we got said uh, Niagara, Bordeaux by way of Niagara or something. Yeah, and it's yeah, really damn, cool. Damn it's, skippy on that. It is really cool. It is all really cool. Um, yeah, that really well done. So congratulations to the to the Speck family for uh, the Speck brothers, I guess, for uh, for putting that out. And uh, yeah, I hope that does fly off the shelf. So let's Andre, talk about getting paid. Uh, Wait, talk about Patreon or something yeah, yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, thank you to the people who have taken the time to check out Patreon. We appreciate the support. Um, as always, we could use more support. It is not expensive to run the podcast, but it does take a few dollars to pay for things like our hosting and uh, just the general upkeep, equipment, whatnot. Uh, so go to patreon.com slash two guys talking wine. And we have some new rewards there. There have been no takers, but think of a great Christmas gift. If you give a six month commitment to two guys talking wine, we will do a guided tasting for you. We will send you some wines and you will get to listen to Michael be wrong and me be right while we talk about what the wines taste like with you. Which would be such a rarity. So that that would be something in itself. Nailed the landing, eh? <laughs> I'm Andre Pru from AndreWineReview.ca at AndreWineReview on all social media. And I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Mostly the grape guy, but sometimes Michael Pincus. Find me on social media. Andre, it's been a pleasure yet again tasting wine with you, even if it is virtually. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.